an initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Faithandreason.com. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You know, I was down in Florida a couple of years ago. A little kid picked this book up. He's about seven or eight years old. He opened it up. He goes, oh, I thought this was a cookbook, you know. <laughs> so at least he was... At least he was on the right track, you know. Uh, but, but it's a real pleasure for me to be here, and thank you for your warm welcome. You know, Bishop Sheen, I'm working on his canonization process. I'm working as the vice postulator. Uh, but uh, he used to say, if you clap before a speaker begins to speak, you have faith. If you clap during the talk, you have hope. And if you clap at the end, you have charity. So <laughs> we're, we're off to a good start here tonight. Uh, it's really my pleasure. I just flew in from New Jersey, from Newark. We had a big meeting with our community. We had all of our friars coming in from the missions, our, what we call the missions, England, Ireland, uh, Central America, Nicaragua, Honduras, and the Southwest, and then all the, our houses in the metropolitan New York area. But it's great to see all the brothers getting together, this Franciscan community, on a very, very special part of our, of our life, you know? So, um, but it's my pleasure to be here tonight. Let's uh, start with a little prayer uh, to the Holy Spirit. St. Francis, in his rule, stressed, you know, the importance of the Holy Spirit. He said, this is what we should above all things desire to have, to have the Spirit of the Lord and his holy working in us. So let's say a little prayer to the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Come, Holy Spirit, Fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us by this same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. We pray to our Blessed Lady, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Sorrowful and Immaculate Heart of Mary, St. Joseph, and St. Francis and St. Clare, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I greet you with a little greeting of St. Francis. May the Lord give you his peace, okay? You know, you never know what the Franciscans are going to do, huh? You always have to be prepared for the unexpected. Have you ever heard the story about the, the ship that was coming over from Europe in the last century, coming to bringing many Catholic people over to settle here in America? And uh, because there were so many Catholics on the ship, they needed a number of chaplains. And you, usually you get one order, we'll take care of, they'll provide all the chaplains, but they couldn't get enough priests from one order. So they got priests from four different orders. There was a Benedictine, there was a Dominican, a Jesuit, and a Franciscan, you know? And everything, they were getting along fine. You know, there's always a little rivalry between the orders and so on. They were getting along wonderfully. However, they got about halfway across the ocean, there was a big explosion in the boiler room blew a big hole inside of the ship and it was sinking rapidly, but like a miracle, they got everybody off the boat, the ship rather into the lifeboats, except the fact that the last four people off the ship were the four priests, but there was only one spot left in the last lifeboat. Well, you could see all these four priests huddled together like that, you know, and um, it was dangerously low in the water. Well, the Benedictines, they've been around the longest, and this Benedictine realized how dangerous the situation was, and he yells out, long live the Benedictines, and he jumps out into the water. Well, the situation was a little bit better, but still three priests, one spot, and you know, the Dominicans, the, Dominican, the, the Dominicans are always thinking. This Dominican realized how dangerous the situation was, and he yells out, long live the Dominicans, and he jumped out into the water. Well, the situation was a little bit better. Two priests, though, one spot. Finally, it dawned on the Franciscan how dangerous the situation was, and he says, long live the Franciscans! And he pushed the Jesuit in the water. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've had great rivalry with the Jesuits, the Franciscans and Jesuits, 
but isn't it great we have a Pope Francis, who is a Jesuit. I, I, was, I could not believe, I was actually filming a program for Sunday Night Live, a Sunday Night Prime, you know, for EWTN. I was in the, the studio in New York where we film it, and uh, they showed the picture of the Pope, you know, and his name on the bottom. Because we were, as we were filming, obviously, obviously we couldn't be watching, you know, regular television or anything like that, you know, and when I saw his name, I was just so excited. Because St. Francis is a great saint, you know, and, um, uh, you know, I think the Holy Father chose him in many ways because of St. Francis' great love, you know, for the poor. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Let's go into the works of mercy. I'm not going to go through all of the works individually, but a little bit of background of why it's so important for us to practice the works of mercy. You know, in the, uh, the first translations that we had in the vernacular, there was one of the prefaces had uh, this little, little part to it, which I very much enjoyed. It said, in love, God created us. In justice, he condemned us. But in mercy, he redeemed us. In other words, in love, God created us. God, you know, out of the goodness and love of his heart, created us to share his happiness forever in heaven. He didn't have to. He was perfectly happy. He didn't need us. But out of his great love, he created us. But when we failed, our first parents, and then we individually by our sins, failed in justice, the Lord had to condemn us. Hmm? You know, and uh, he told St. I believe it was St. Faustina that Jesus said, he said, you know, as God, I have to be not only merciful, but also just. My mother is all mercy, he said. It's good to keep in mind, right? <laughs> when you want a very favorable, uh, you know, reception, go to the mother of God. Mary is always merciful. But in the end, he said, but it said, in mercy, he redeemed us, okay? Mercy is God's greatest attribute. It's characteristic of God, isn't it, huh? Remember Shakespeare who said, to err is human, but to forgive is divine. And that's the characteristic of God, his great mercy and love for each one of us. I love Psalm 136 because we say 26 times, his mercy endures forever. And uh, uh, so we, we certainly need the mercy of God because so many beautiful gifts come to us. What is mercy? Mercy is really God's love given to someone in one of two situations. Number one, either a person in great need. So mercy becomes almost like compassion. You have compassion for people who are, who are in need, suffering, and whatever situation they may be in, and you feel what they're going through. So that's compassion. Passio in Latin meant to suffer, and compassio meant to suffer with someone. That's what compassion is. You can feel in your heart what somebody's going through in their own heart, see? And that's mercy, okay? When, when we give a love to someone in great need. Secondly, mercy is God's love given to someone who's undeserving of that love. And because of our sins, you know, we made ourselves undeserving, but God in his mercy, he took pity on us, you know? He granted us his forgiveness. And so, my brothers and sisters, we know that we have been called to follow Jesus. And the way to follow him is to grow in love. Hmm? The love of God, the love of neighbor. These are our two great commandments. Remember, that must have been a, a kind of hot theological issue, don't you think, about what's the greatest commandment? And our Lord was asked that at least three or four times in the gospel. Hmm? Different situations, different people asking him that question. Remember, they had something like 613 precepts many of them positive, you know, you shall do this and that, and others negative, you know, you shall not do this, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not lie and steal, okay? So it was a hot issue. They wanted to know which one of these 613 commandments or precepts was the most important one. And what does our Lord do? He said, well, the, he said, the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, all your heart, all your strength, you know, all your being. Remember, he even went so far as to say, if you love anyone, your family, your friends, and even yourself more than me, you're not worthy of me. Huh? That's the kind of love God wants. He's jealous. Do you know that? 
God is very jealous. That's why the first commandment says, I am the Lord your God, and you shall not have false gods before me. Because if we have false gods before Jesus, huh? He's going to be very jealous. We're giving our love to someone else before we give it to him. But then I guess that's where the Pharisee who asked the question wanted him to stop. You know, he gave me, he told me what the greatest commandment was, and that's what he had asked. But what does he say? But the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, brothers and sisters, we have to love one another. Huh? And uh, we know that's not always easy, is it, huh? to love one another, to bear with one another. In our, you know, St. Francis de Sales said, it's a great part of our perfection to bear with one another in our imperfection. Hmm? And we know that, huh? You know, all the rough spots. We used to say, like, in religious life, it was like two diamonds. You know, God puts one diamond against the other, and the rough spots on one wear off the rough spots on the other one till it perfects and purifies that diamond. Uh, I always remember this Irish Christian brother was giving the retreat, and he told me this little jingle. He said, Oh, what a joy it will be to live with the saints in glory. But to live with the saints on earth, that's another story. <laughs> Right? <laughs> and we all know that story, <laughs> right? To love one another, not easy. Look at the apostles. You know, my last name is Apostoli, and people ask me, did you get that name when you entered uh, religious life? I said, no, I got it when I entered the world. I said it was my father's last name, you know? But I always loved the apostles. You know, it's a good family reference. You tell somebody, well, who, what's your family like? Well, I'm, I'm related to the 12 apostles. That's what the name means in Italian, to the apostles, you know. But did you ever see their example in the gospel? Huh? They had a long way to go, didn't they? Huh? I had a professor who said before Pentecost, they, he said the apostles acted like a bunch of pork chops. That's exactly what he said. I'll never forget that. You know, because they, they were fighting with one another, arguing who's the most important one in the kingdom. Remember that? Huh? How about the, the poor blind man, Bartimaeus? He was crying out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. What does the gospel say? Those who walked before Jesus told him to keep quiet. He didn't. He shouted out louder. But that's the apostles. You know, I lived with a brother years ago who used to say, I was down and you pushed me further. <laughs> and that's what the apostles did <laughs> in some sense. How about the poor uh, Canaanite woman? Remember, here she's crying out to Jesus. With heartfelt, you know, her daughter, possessed by a demon, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And Jesus tested that woman, didn't he? Huh? He gave it a silent treatment. Then when she kept crying out, you know, the apostles reacted. They told them, but why don't you give her what she wants? Get rid of her. She's creating a scene here. You know, she's causing, she's hysterical. That's what they're saying. And uh, remember Jesus said to them, um, I've only come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Three things already she was tested, right? The silence of Jesus, the apostles complaining, Jesus saying, oh, he had only come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She wasn't a lost sheep in the house of Israel. She was a Gentile. And the fourth test, remember, when she falls at the feet of Jesus, and she said, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And Jesus said, do you want me to deprive the children? Do you want me to take something out of the, the plate of the children and give it to a little dog? The, the Jews used to use that expression, little puppies. And she came right back, didn't she? She said, but Lord, even the children slip something under the table, you know, for the puppy. <laughs> and he said to her, woman, great is your faith. She got into the gospel because she had such faith. Hmm? So he tested her. But look at those apostles. They were not a great help to that poor lady, nor to Bartimaeus, nor arguing with one another, you know. And... Uh, the mother of James and John didn't help things either, remember that? She came and she took her, she's got to her two sons there, James and John. I, I think it went something like this. She said, James, come here. Mom, where are we going? Just come here. John, come here. You know, I don't think they had a clue as to what she was up to. Huh? And remember, she comes with her two sons. She brings them to Jesus. And Jesus, I have to ask a little favor, just a little favor. Would you make sure that when you come into your kingdom, my son James here, that he's on your right side, and my son John, you know, on the left. That's all I want, just the first two places, you know. 
Now, St. Augustine said for a mother that was no sin because a mother always wants what's best, you know, for her children. And, uh, but the other apostles reacted, didn't they? Because they wanted the first places, you see. And, um, but Jesus he was telling us, you know, that we have to love one another, to love one another. The second commandment, he said, follows from the first. It's incomplete to say you love God, but don't love your neighbor. That's incomplete in that love. Huh? Remember, St. John talks about that, doesn't he? Remember uh, in his first letter, around chapter 4, verse 20, when he says, you know, if you say you love God whom you do not see, but you do not love your neighbor whom you do, do see, who's made in the image and likeness of God, he said, you're a liar. How can you have a love for God whom you don't see if you don't love the neighbor that you do see? Eh? So you and I reflect God's presence, don't we? So Jesus said that charity was his commandment. Remember that at the Last Supper when he gave us the, the commandment? You know, sometimes Holy Thursday is also called Maundy Thursday. Have you ever seen that title for it, Maundy Thursday? From the Latin word mandatum, which meant the commandment. He gave us the Eucharist on Holy Thursday. He gave us the priesthood. And he gave us the commandment of love. See, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus also said that it would be by that sign, that love, that men and women would know that we were his disciples. That's the sign. You know, I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Mayor Koch. He was a former mayor in New York. He was a Jewish person. And uh, one time he was having a political fight with some opponent, and um, things simmered down between them. And a reporter said to Mayor Koch, uh, you're going to forgive that man now, aren't you? He goes, no. He said, forgiveness, that's Christian. I'm not a Christian. I'm not going to forgive. Hmm? <laughs> Interesting, huh? By this they shall know you are my disciples, by the love you have for one another. In church history, one of the great uh, saints there in uh, the early church uh, was, uh, let me see if I can get his name. I slipped in my mind. Um, he, was, he, he was a Roman soldier, and he was in prison. This, his division of soldiers had rebelled, and they were put down, and they were thrown in a dungeon. You can imagine what a dungeon in ancient Rome was like. Huh? They don't read you any rights, that's for sure. And, they, and all of a sudden, one day, one day, these, these um, uh, men and women came to the prison. They came with food. They came with medicine. They came with clothing. And they were giving all these things to the prisoners. The prisoners didn't even know who these people were. And one of them said, uh, who are these? He asked the jailer, who are these men and women? And the jailer said, these men and women, they called themselves Christians. And he was so taken by what they were doing, he said, if I ever get out of here, I'm going to become a Christian. He did. I can't remember his name right off of him. He was like St. Anthony of the Desert, and uh, he founded the uh, community life in the desert, okay? At the same time, St. Anthony of the Desert was there. But he was deeply touched by this charity and love, see? But this love that we have in our hearts has to have a living expression. We've got to let it come out. Huh? Remember St. John again, chapter, his first letter, chapter 3. He said, little children, let us love in deed and in truth and not merely talk about it. When I grew up in the Bronx, they used to say, talk is cheap. Anybody could talk. Hmm? But doing it is quite another thing, isn't it? So we need to be able to express our love. And that's where the works of mercy come. St. James is even stronger in his letter. You know, he said, my brothers, what good is it to profess faith without practicing it? Such faith has no power to save one, has it? If a brother or sister has nothing to wear, no food for the day, and you say to them, goodbye and good luck, you know, keep warm and well-fed, but you don't meet their needs, you know, their bodily needs, what good is that? Mm -hmm. So it is with the faith that does nothing in practice. It is thoroughly lifeless. Faith without works is as dead as a body without breath. Mm -hmm. So, my brothers and sisters, we have to express our love in a very concrete way. And that's where the works of mercy come in. Hmm? See, the works of mercy are really concrete expressions of love and mercy that's in our hearts. It's compassion and pity, 
for those who are in need. This is love in action. This is the gospel in action, are the works of mercy. And you know, Pope Francis gives us a beautiful example of that, doesn't he? You know, did you know, remember when he was the archbishop there in, uh, cardinal in, uh, there in Argentina, okay, in Buenos Aires. <clears throat> and uh, he used to take care of a fellow Jesuit who was handicapped. He used to f- make his meals and so on. Um, you know, he, he took care of an infirm one. He had a great concern for the poor. In fact, when, it's, when it's, uh, the story has come out of the conclave that when he was, it was apparent that he had the votes necessary to be elected Pope, one of the other cardinals, I think it was the cardinal from, Buenos Aires, from uh, Rio de Janeiro, who went to him and said, remember the poor, remember the poor. And you know, that's the kind of heart he has. He does remember the poor. You know, he took care of that, that um, again, fellow Jesuit who was in need. And he did very simple things. I heard a story when Cardinal O'Malley went down with a father, a priest by the name of Father Small. Father Small is the national director the propagation of the faith. And they went down to see Cardinal Bergoglio, okay? So they get to the cathedral and there's the residence next door. They ring the doorbell. Now comes this priest in a black cassock, you know, to open the door. And Father Small says to Cardinal O'Malley, when are we gonna see Cardinal Bergoglio? And Cardinal O'Malley says, you're looking at him. <laughs> he came out to answer the door. <laughs> he didn't send anybody else. Uh, and so he was so down to earth and remember the poor, you know? And I think when he chose that name Francis, you know, there's many reasons we can think of that. You know, when I walked in and I saw the crucifix of San Damiano, that's where Jesus gave Francis a great mission, didn't he? Francis, go and rebuild my church, which as you see, is falling into ruin. And um, uh, oftentimes when we think of the conversion of St. Francis, you know, we always start with some of the mystical things. He had the dream, remember, the, the, the hall filled with the armor. And he, and he had gone to war twice and got captured twice. That's not a good record for a soldier. <laughs> oh, it too, you know. But he had this dream, remember, the hall filled with all the armor. And, and he's taken with it. And he goes, he asks in the dream, who shall lead this army? And the voice said, you shall, Francis. So he thought, remember, his luck was going to change. And so he signs up with a count there in Assisi who was going off to war. And remember, he goes one day to Spoleto. He goes one day uh, traveling. And he's, dream- he's at night and he has the dream where Jesus asked him, Francis, where are you going? He said, well, I'm going, Lord, I'm going off to war. And then the Lord put the question to him, Francis, who could do more for you? The master or the servant? The rich man or the poor man? He said, of course, the master, the rich man can do more. And Jesus said, then Francis, why are you leaving the rich man to follow a poor man? Why are you leaving the master to follow a servant? And Francis understood exactly what Jesus was saying. He didn't say, Lord, what are you trying to tell me something? You know, he didn't say that. He knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus was telling them, Francis, nobody can do more for you than I can, so why are you leaving me? And he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Remember, go back to Assisi, and he'll be told you what to do. God doesn't always tell you everything all at once. You know that. You got to pray, and that's what Francis did. He used to go in a cave with his companion, and we don't know who the companion was there. He would watch the horses outside the cave, and he would tell his companion, I got a, I got a treasure in this cave. I've got to go and see it. It was prayer. He was pouring his heart out to God to know what the Lord wanted of him. But the real turning point in his life, in his conversion, was not that, was not even the cross speaking to him. It was when he embraced the leper. Because if you've ever read the Testament of St. Francis, that's what it begins with. Not the mystical experiences, but the leper. And I'll come back to that. You know, we have in our time, we've had such a great person who reminds us of the importance of the mystical the works of mercy. Mother Teresa, Calcutta, she told me we, we were very privileged to know her at the beginning of our community. In fact, one time after we, we got dispensed from our vows as Capuchins, there were eight of us. We made our private vows there with Cardinal O'Connor. We had to go and see her. She wanted to know what we were doing. And she said, once you uncover something of the will of God, you must be faithful to it. So she was telling us to be faithful to what we felt God was calling us to do. And um, 
You know, she told me one thing. See, I got to know her very well. She told me one day, she says, Father, St. Peter is telling me I am filling up heaven with the people from the slums. <laughs> and that's what she's doing. She's sending all these people up there. Huh? And you know, someone once asked her, how do you deal with all these, these kind of people that you deal with, the dying people in the streets of Calcutta? Some of them covered with all kinds of germs and, you know, disease. And then there's the lepers. And then there's the AIDS people and the, the homeless, the, the abandoned children, you know, the hungry. How do you deal with, and he, he said, the dregs of society. And Mother said, I don't see any of those people. I see only Jesus. You know, she used to say, Jesus comes in the distressing disguise of the poorest of the poor, you know? And um, so, that's our opportunity, see? What then are the graces and the blessings that come from doing the works of mercy? Well, first of all, we have the opportunity to serve Jesus. Mother Teresa, one day she was talking, I was talking with her and she said to me, Father, we're only going to know when we get to heaven how much good came to us because of the poor and the needy. She said, you know, God in heaven He's perfectly happy. He doesn't need anything. We can't do anything for God in heaven. So what did God do? God became man. She said, now we can do something for him. Because he said, I was hungry. You fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. And all the other of the, the uh, works of mercy. Huh? And that's our, you know, we have the opportunity to serve Christ. And what a great thing. I mean, how humble is our God? Mother Teresa said, God chose me in his humility. And God, our God is humble. He's not a God of violence. He's a God of mercy, and of love and compassion. See, uh, one of my favorite quotes in the Old Testament from Isaiah the prophet, when it said, the bruised reed he did not break, and the smoldering wick he did not quench. In other words, you and I, aren't we like bruised reeds? We're a little bit beat up. Hmm. Original sin, personal sins, and the struggles of life. But God doesn't reject us. He heals us. Huh? Same thing with that smoldering wick. Instead of stomping it out, Jesus doesn't stomp out where there's life, where there's someone willing to love him. He stirs that little spark back into a flame. And that's why, you know, Jesus has such great compassion, great love in his heart. And that's why the first opportunity, first thing we do in doing the works of mercy, you know, is to serve Christ because Jesus said, remember in that, uh, when he talked about the last judgment, he said, on the last day, he said, I'm going to say to those on my right, I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty, I was homeless, I was naked, I was in prison, I was sick, and you took care of me. When did we do that, Lord? Right? They're going to ask that. As long as you did it from one of these, the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. And that's our opportunity to serve Christ by doing the great works of mercy. And that's why Mother Teresa said, if we didn't have the poor, we can't do anything for God. That's why we have to do it through the poor. We have to love Jesus, you know. And mother, by the way, Mother, you know, she dealt with very difficult cases, you know, those poor dying people in the streets. And, you know, the first case she ever did, she picked up one of those dying people. Like you can imagine, she was not very big, although she had rather unusually big hands. Her hands were quite big, you know, in proportion to her, to her, stat, you know, her, her height, you know. But you can imagine mother picking up this person. It's kind of dead weight in your arms. And she carried him to the hospital. And she told him to take the man into the hospital. Well, the hospital administration came down. They said, we're not going to take that guy in. He's too far gone. They said to her, you know, put him back in the street. Let him die out there. And then they'll pick his body up and they'll burn it. She said, absolutely not. <laughs> there was about a six-hour standoff between mother and the hospital administration. And guess who won? 
Father Benedict told me one time, he said, I had 250 arguments with Mother Teresa. I never won one of them. <laughs> the, the hospital administrator said, boy, she's stubborn. Boy, he, boy, that's the understatement of the century. Mother <laughs> Teresa being stubborn. <laughs> it's like hitting a, you know, a Sherman tank. <laughs> and so, Mother, you know, that beautiful opportunity, and that's what we do when we serve Jesus in his needs. The second thing we do when we do the works of mercy is we satisfy the thirst of Jesus. By that thirst, I mean the thirst on the cross. And of course, Mother Teresa expressed her whole spirituality, was expressed in Jesus' words, I thirst. Remember that? If you ever go into a missionary charity convent, you know, you will always see a rather large crucifix, you know? You will always see a big, beautiful statue of the Blessed Mother, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And you will always see the words, I thirst. Because the spirituality of Mother, she summed it up in that thirst. She said, Jesus, you know, um, experiences three thirsts. The first thirst, she said, is Jesus thirsts for you and I, for our personal love. That's something that only you and I can give Jesus. No one else can give it for us. They can pray for us to give it, but they can't give it. If Jesus doesn't receive your love or my love, he will be deprived, despite the fact that he is God, God-man, he will be deprived of something. Because only you and I can give him our love. And that's the first thirst of Jesus on that cross. Remember that. The second thirst, Mother said, he's thirsting for the salvation of the whole world. See? And so, <clears throat> you know, when we bring sinners to Jesus, when we pray for them, when we offer our sacrifices, you know, our good works for the salvation of souls, you know, the, the closer you come to God, the more the idea of the need to save souls will grow in you. In fact, St. Francis of Assisi said, nothing should take precedence to the work of the salvation of souls for whom Jesus shed his precious blood, okay? And the closer you come to God, he will stir that up within you. Uh, some of you may have read my book on Fatima. I'm a big Fatima pusher. That's my big cause right now, too. Because I think it's the answer to everything we're going through in this world right now. She told us what was gonna happen, it's happening. You know, she said this, there will be an evil that will spread out of Russia, which is communism, and we've got it, we got it here in America. You know, with the destruction of life and the family, you know, all of these, and, and the persecution out of the freedom, taking away our freedoms, all of those were signs of communism. You know, we're heading in that direction. In fact, Putin told Obama, he said, we had communism for 75 years, it didn't work. You've got it now, it's not gonna work. That's where we're headed. You know, government control, everything. The attack on religion. We are definitely headed toward that. But what's gonna happen? I believe Our Lady of Fatima will save us. Absolutely. I go all over, and I'm pushing the Fatima message. What I encourage you to do, learn about it. If you wanna get my book on, you know, uh, Fatima for Today, The Urgent Marian Message of Hope, do the five first Saturdays devotion. See, people are saying, well, if Pope John Paul made the consecration of Russia, why isn't there peace? Because there's a difference between a consecration and a conversion. And also the fact that Our Lady did not ask only for the consecration. Yeah, she asked for the five first Saturdays. And then to live good holy lives and say your rosary every day. Remember, she said the rosary is powerful enough to stop wars. That's why when that, we got in danger about a week ago, right there, I got to my rosary and said a couple of extra ones, you know, and I told Our Lady, you promised the rosary would stop wars. We got to hold her to her promise, but we got to do our part. But you have to do the five first Saturday devotion. If you don't do that, the conversion of sinners is going to take forever. Because remember, she did not ask for just one thing, you know, when it came to Russia to stop the evil. She asked for two things. She asked for the, conver she asked for the, the consecration, but she also asked for the five first Saturdays. Learn about it. You know, Pope Francis, when uh, on May, I think it was May 4th, right after he became Pope, 
He went to St. Mary Major and said his rosary for the first Saturday. He asked EWTN to have a program every first Saturday. Now I think it's at nine o'clock, you know, the family, EWTN family, first Saturday program. Uh-huh. And, um, and you know, if you follow that first Saturday devotion, encourage your family, your friends, and so on, you know, it's gonna help you grow spiritually. In fact, in my book on Mary, on the Fatima, I call it Our Lady's Spiritual Formation Program because she's getting people to go to confession once a month. By the way, you, you can go to confession now, the Holy See has extended it, any day during the month. So for example, this is the month of September. You can go to confession any day during September, okay? As long as when you go to confession, you apply it with the intention to make reparation for the offenses against the Immaculate Heart of Mary, okay? Then you go to communion on the first Saturday. Then you go, you recite one rosary, five decades, and then you spend 15 minutes. Our Lady said, keep me company. Isn't that beautiful? She's teaching her children how to pray. That's exactly what she's doing. You know, first of all, when you go to confession once a month, you know, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Hmm? You know, your soul, your, your soul will be filled with the grace of God. Hmm? You live in the state of grace. It doesn't matter whether you live in Pennsylvania, Kentucky, or wherever, California, just make sure you live in the state of grace. That's the only state. <laughs> that's the only state that really matters, okay? And, um, and so when we, you know, when we pray for the conversion of sinners, that's what that first Saturday is all about. So keep Mary company for, for 15 minutes, meditating on the other mysteries to make reparation for the offenses against her immaculate heart, which are five. Vexus de Lucia asked our Lord, why are there only five first Saturdays instead of seven or nine, like the nine first Fridays? And Jesus said, because there were five offenses against my mother's immaculate heart. Those who blaspheme my mother's immaculate conception. Those who blaspheme my mother's perpetual virginity. Those who blaspheme Mary as mother of God and our mother. Those who keep the young from her, who sow seeds of distrust in the hearts of young people. After all, Mary is a mother. A mother has a right to the love of all her children, and all her children have a right to her love. So we make reparation for that. And finally, the fifth one, to make, for those who uh, desecrate the images of Mary, you know. And uh, I, I have been told by some people that there are terrible images of Mary and Christ, uh, you know, pornography and yeah, I often wonder how God's patience can go on with these absolute atrocities against the heart of Jesus and Mary, you know? So that's why we need, we need to respond, you know? I mean, Our Lady said to the children, when enough people do what I've asked you to do, then my triumph will come, many souls will be converted, and an era of peace will come. Thank God for John Paul II, Pope John Paul, that he made the consecration on March 25th, 1984. By the way, it's 100 years later from when Pope Leo XIII, you ever hear that story? Pope Leo XIII, after Mass one day, he was making his Thanksgiving, and he heard this arguing coming from near the tabernacle. So he looks over and he has a vision. He sees Christ, he sees St. He sees Michael, he sees Satan. And Satan is telling Jesus, I can destroy your church. I just need more time and more power. And uh, Jesus said to him, uh, how much time do you need? He said, a hundred years. Guess what year it was? 1884. A hundred years later, Pope John Paul II made the consecration, March 25th, 1984. And that's what broke the power of communism. And that's why five years later, the Berlin Wall came down, two years after that, the Soviet Union was declared over. Um, do you realize that from 1991, when the Soviet Union ended in Russia, officially, you realize the number of monasteries went from 117 to 804 monasteries in 20 years. You can't do that unless you have an enormous conversion of people. I was talking to somebody recently about the monasteries in in Greece, there's an island called Mount Athos, where the monks used to go into caves, you know, many, many little cave monasteries there. After Russia became free, all these Russians came. 
And they, they occupied all the caves. The, the Greeks were, were angry. We don't have any room left for us. <laughs> you know, that's how many they were seeking God. Imagine when you're starving for 75 years, you get pretty hungry, don't you? And they're hungry for God. So what is our task? What's this second then thirst of, of Jesus to pray for the conversion of sinners? I think the statement that Our Lady made, if you want one statement that sort of summed up what she was asking for was when she appeared to the children in August. Remember, they had been abducted. They were put in prison. And then Our Lady appeared, they think it was August 19th. She appeared very suddenly, but the three children were there. And what she said to them with great sadness, she said, pray, pray a great deal, make many sacrifices, because many souls are lost from God, because there is no one to pray and offer sacrifice for them. That's what our mother came to ask for. These are her children. She doesn't want any of her children to be lost. So if you do that, you're praying for the conversion, you are fulfilling that thirst of Jesus, okay? Give him first your love, bring souls. And what was the third thirst? Mother Teresa said, Jesus is still hungry in the least of his brothers and sisters. And so that's where we can serve him. And we will be satisfying, you know, the thirst of Jesus. It's a great way, great, beautiful insight that Mother had. Huh? She was a great saint of our time. Remember, she always used to say, Jesus comes in the distressing disguise of the poorest of the poor. If we didn't have the poor, we'd have to go out and invent them. Hmm? We need those that we can serve for the love of Christ. Huh? What's the third blessing that comes? You will build a civilization of love, truth and love. That was Pope John Paul's expression. Remember, he said, he said so often, we have to build a civilization of truth and of truth because truth is, is what God sees. And God is truth. Huh? He's the greatest truth. You know, people today, you hear so many people say today, well, you know, people have their right. They have a right to this and a right to like homosexuality. They have, they have a right to that. You know, they don't have any rights like that. You would have that right if you created the world then it's your world, you do what you want. But we didn't create the world. <laughs> I know I didn't, that's for sure. God created it, so it's his world. So he's got to tell us what's right and what's wrong. You see, he's got to tell us what our rights are. I, one time, you know, when I was a novice master, I read the novices all their rights. You have the right to pray, you have the right, to, you know, come to chapel when the bell rings, you have the right to, to you know, to... <laughs> keep the bowels of poverty, chastity, and obedience. I said, those are all your rights. Look at all those beautiful rights that you have. I read them, they're rights. <laughs> so we have to do what God wants. Huh? And, uh, and so to transform the selfishness of this world today, the narcissism, so many people focused on themselves. You know, it will change you if you begin to do that, to, to live the way Christ wants. It transforms us. How are we going to transform all this selfishness, this violence, this narcissism in the world? By the works of mercy. We will begin to touch hearts and souls. You know, didn't in Scripture say, says, be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's our task. St. John of the Cross said, where there is no love, put love and you will find love. People are drawn by love. That's our message. That's the, the thing that I think the Pope is talking about when he said, we don't just focus on the issues, uh, you know, homosexuality and abortion. We don't want to only say that. We have such a very positive faith. He said, we need to draw these people by the beauty of the Eucharist, by the beauty of knowing Jesus, by the beauty of knowing Our Lady. We have to draw these people, see? Then you give them the gospel and tell them how they are to live. And they'll listen to you. See? That's what the Holy Father, that was his approach. You know, he, he really has this thing, we have to bring the gospel out there. He said in one of his talks early on, he said, you know, priests, get out of the rectories. Sisters, religious, get out of the convents, get out of the monasteries, and go out to the people. That's what he said. This is our Pope. Hmm? following St. Francis. You remember when St. Francis heard the gospel? Remember the little Portsuncula there? Uh, don't you have a little Portsuncula here? You have a Portsuncula? Right here? 
on that side? Okay. He went to that little chapel. If you've ever been there in Assisi, there's a little tiny chapel. I think that's exactly what I was there. I had been there once before. Um, and he's praying, you know, and remember, he had been told by Jesus, Francis, go and rebuild my church, which as you see is falling into ruin. And he's repairing all these little chapels. Remember, San Damiano, and then later, because he loves St. Peter, San Pietro. And he comes and he ends up with our Blessed Lady there at the Porziuncola Chapel of Santa Maria de Angeli. Mary, St. Mary the Angel. City of Los Angeles is named after that chapel. That's where to get the name, you know, the angels. And, um, and so what does he do? He pours his heart out to the Mother of God. St. Bonaventure called it the Mother of Mercy. And it was in that chapel that he heard the gospel, of Jesus sending the apostles out two by two, take nothing for the journey, no, re no provisions, resources. You know, today we get all caught up in that. Well, how much resources do we have? We can know what we can do. No, let's just do what God wants us to do. Focus on that. Hmm? And God will provide the resources. Remember, have you ever heard the story of Mother Angelica, how she got started with EWT? Did you ever hear that story? It's a powerful story. You know, she was on a, a local television station because she used to have Bible studies. She's in a Bible belt down there in Birmingham. You know, she was there and all these people locally would come and they loved their Bible studies, <laughs> even the Protestant people. Mother, we gotta get you on a television. More people have to see you on, you know. So they got her on the local television. Okay, which was part of one of the networks. And that network happened to be, they were going to be uh, showing a series that was kind of detrimental to the Catholic Church, negative against the church. So Mother asked the manager of that local station, would you not, please don't, don't show that series. I find it very offensive. He got in a huff. He said, this is my station. I'm the manager here. Don't tell me what to do. I'll do what I want. He said, then he says to her, I don't need you. You need me. You know, if you want to be on television, that's all you got to tell Mother Angelica. She said, she said, I don't need you. She said, I'll go out and start my own TV station. And that's exactly what she did. She had what the Jewish people called hoopspah, get with it, you know, and, and carry through. So what does she do? She finds out how to start a television station, you know. And um, so they, she tells uh, one of the sisters to look up with all the presidents and vice presidents, you know, uh, of the uh, networks. Okay, she says, get any last name that ends in an A, an I, or an O. Italian, you know, because she was Italian, Russo. And so they get this one guy, I think it was with CNN. She said, uh, now she had $200 in the bank. She used to sell, they used to make these little fishing hooks and sell them. That she had $200. So she said to the guy, I, I'd like to uh, get, start a little television station. Um, they tell me that I need this uh, projector to shoot the thing out to space there, you know, satellite dish. How much does that cost? I'd like to buy one. He said, um, that'll cost you $2 million. You have $2 million? She said, no, 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 I don't, I don't have that. What about a down payment? She said, uh, that will cost you $600,000. She said, all right, send me one. Send you one? Do you have $600,000? She said, no, just send it. Because she really got feisty on the, on the phone with the guy. You just said, he said, you better have $600,000 when that satellite dish arrives. Send it, you know? So she really stepped out in faith. She had $200. <laughs> okay, what happens? The dish arrives. The guy's waiting to be paid. So she stalls. She took him out to the garden, showed him the garden, you know, the guy. Then she says to the guy, I have to go into the chapel to pray. You have to wait out here. Now, remember in perpetual adoration. So the Blessed Sacrament is always exposed. She went right up to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And she said, Jesus, your satellite dish for your television station is here, and you have to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, she walks out the door, and her sister comes over. Mother, there's this man on the phone. He's called about seven times. He won't take no for an answer. He insists on talking to you. He's on some yacht in the middle of the Bahamas. Would you please talk to him? So she gets on the phone and the guy says to her, uh, Mother, um, Mother, I want to thank you very, very much. I read your little pamphlets. You saved my life. You saved my marriage. You saved my children. I'm so grateful to you, Mother. I'd like to make a little donation to your work. I'm going to send you a check for $600,000. <laughs>
She said, could you wire that up immediately? <laughs> and that's how she paid for it. Talk about stepping out in faith, huh? Right? You know, it's better to light one candle than to curse the darkness. You know, you may say, what does my little doing of the works of mercy going to affect the world? Just give it to Jesus and see what he does with it. Look at that little boy in the gospel, remember? Remember the little boy when Jesus had 5,000 people, he had to feed them? And he asks Philip, where are we going to get bread? And Philip pulls out the little pocket calculator. Now, you know, the going price in Jerusalem, we'd have to get uh, 200 days' wages for everybody to get a little bite to eat. Then my patron, St. Andrew, Bishop Sheen said he was the public relations man of the apostles, always introducing people to Jesus. Okay. And um, he brings this little boy, you know. I always picture that little boy as chubby. You know why? Everybody else was out of food. He, he, had, he had five, five loaves, two fish. Everybody else was out of food, and this little kid, he was ready for the long haul, right? <laughs> so what happens? And Andrew brings this little boy to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, here's a little boy here with five loaves of bread and two fish, but what is that among so many? The little boy, out of love, gave it to Jesus. That's what I think. Out of great love, he made the sacrifice. And what did Jesus do? He multiplied it. It's called matching funds. You say, <laughs> you give him five loaves of bread, he'll feed 20,000 people with it. That's what you got to do. That'll change the world. That's the kind of faith we need. I mean, the faith that really believes that Jesus is at work. And he can do what we can't do. All we've got to do is to do what he told us to do. What's Our Lady's final advice to us in the gospel? Do whatever my son tells you. You do that with, with great trust. That's the key today. Jesus told St. Faustina, I will give every grace according to the trust of the people. Trust him. Take him at his word. Remind him of what he said. It's not easy all the time, but we do our best. Huh? Um, fourth thing. So the, the third thing was that we can build a civilization of truth and love. Okay? Fourth, we will be transformed. Okay? and we will transform others. See, this is where the example of St. Francis embracing the leper comes in. You know, one of the things he tells us is that before his conversion, he couldn't stand the sight and the smell of the lepers. There were a lot of lepers apparently down in the valley around the Sisi, okay? He couldn't stand the sight of them. He was what the Italians would have called delegado. He was a very sensitive person, okay? And to see the lepers nauseated the smell over just, you know, was too much. If he saw a leper on the road, he would ride away, he would hold his nose, he would ride away as fast as he could. Now, one thing you want to make sure you don't pray unless you really are ready for some excitement. Never tell Jesus, I'll do anything you want, okay? You could pray for 25 years for the conversion of somebody, and you won't see a ripple on the pond, nothing. God, you hear me? Huh? But if you tell Jesus, I'll do anything you ask, he cannot resist that. <laughs> and I promise you, within 24 or at least 48 hours, you will have the most dramatic response to a prayer that you could ever imagine. <laughs> and so what happened? St. Francis must have told the Lord, I'll do anything you want. Okay, all right, Francis, here we go. So he's out riding one day, remember that? And all of a sudden, without warning, right on the road in front of him is a leper. In the past, he used to ride away, hold his nose. He was ready to do that, but he heard a voice. Stay inside, the Holy Spirit. He said, Francis, you must overcome yourself. You must come to see that what you think is bitter, it's really sweet. And so with all the courage he could muster, he got off that horse, and there was the leper there, standing there, and he embraced the leper. And then he put some coins on the leper's hand, and then he kissed the hand of the leper. And when he got back up on the horse and he turned around, the leper was gone. Jesus comes, Mother Teresa said, in the distressing disguise of the poorest of the poor. And what happened to Francis? He said what before seemed bitter 
was changed into sweetness of soul and body. I tarried a little, then I left the world. See, and you know, every new friar who came to join him, he assigned each one to take care of a leper. He wanted them to know what it was to serve Christ in the very, very poor. And so it changes us. And I believe that when Pope, um, when Pope Francis took that name, I think he, that's his approach. We must change the world by serving Christ in one another. We've got to show the people that this is the gospel Jesus taught us. Not violence, not power, not riches, you know, but to serve one another. Uh, you know, Bishop Sheen tells a story um, about a father who came to him and his son, this man's son was rebellious, didn't want to go to church, didn't want to pray, wanted no part of God and and so the father asked Bishop Sheen, what should I do? And Bishop Sheen said, you know, to the people, you know, in his talk, he said, you probably thought I told him to try to get his son to pray. He said, prayer for that young man wouldn't have done anything. He's too wrapped up in himself. Narcissism, which is characteristic of our time, this self-preoccupation. He said to him, get him, Bishop Sheen said to the father, get him to do something for somebody else. Get his mind off himself. The young man went down to Mexico Four months later, he came back. He was praying his rosary. He was going to church. He was working with a group of poor people, poor young people down there. And I guess he realized he found the secret of the joy of giving. There's a joy in giving. And that's what the works of mercy lead us to, you know, a great joy, you know, for the giving. So it was a transformation. Francis was transformed. And we are transformed when we do something for someone else out of love. Fifth thing that comes as a blessing, we're going to be judged by the words of Jesus in that, right? In that teaching on the last judgment. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And that's why we need to live those works of mercy because we want to be ready, you know, to meet Christ. Hmm? Pope John Paul said, those are the words that will end human history as we know it. Okay, that parable. And that's why it's so powerful. You know, you're, many of you are far too young to remember because you weren't here yet. Uh, but 50 years ago when they began the council, uh, uh, Pope John XXIII became Holy Father. He was, uh, he was different. And Pope Isaac XII was very stately and prince and so on like that. Pope John XXIII came in. He was very jovial. You know, he would walk out of the Vatican and uh, the Swiss guard who were bound to protect the Pope at the cost of their life, didn't know where he was. He would put on a black cassock and black, you know, remember those round hats the priests used to wear in Rome? He, he walked down the street. Did you ever hear the story where he walked down, you know, when you go out of the Bernini columns, you know those columns, on the, you know? Those represent, by the way, the arms of Mother Church embracing her children. That's what it represents, you know? So he walks out and you go down the street on the right as you're leaving St. Peter's. Well, he went down and nobody saw him. He was dressed in black, cassock, and so on. And where does he end up? He ends up in the, in the hospital of the Holy Spirit, okay? Well, of course, you can imagine the people, ah, the Pope is here, you know? And to top it off, the Mother Superior was the anesthetist in the hospital. She was right in the middle of an operation, okay? And uh, so they told her, the Pope is here. So she said, I can't leave the operating room during the middle of the operation. When it's over, I'll come down and greet the Holy Father. Take him around, be hospitable and everything. So all of a sudden, the operation's over. Mother Superior runs out of the operating room. She comes down into the presence of, of Pope John Twenty-Third. She was so nervous. She said, Your Holiness, I am the Mother Superior of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> He said to her, Mother, you're doing better than I am. I'm only the vicar of Christ. <laughs> but you know, after the Italian unification forces had seized the papal states, the popes became virtual prisoners in the Vatican. Okay, you know, Vatican City, that's all. The only pope that go out from the time they were seized, it was right after the first Vatican Council had to be suspended because of the Franco-Prussian War, the French soldiers were protecting the Papal States. When they were called back to defend their own country, the Italian unification forces seized the Papal States. You know, probably did the greatest thing to 
no longer was the Pope a worldly leader. Hmm? And, uh, but anyway, they were confined to the Vatican. The only, pope, the only time Pope ever left the Vatican in all those years, it's almost 100 years, uh, 80 years about, uh, was when, during World War II, when there was a bombing on the, the, end, the outskirts of Rome, Pius XII went to bless the bodies and encourage the people. That's all. When Pope John came in, he decided to break that. He called the council, but he made two very important pilgrimages. One, he went to Loreto, which is where the Holy House is, okay? And um, the tradition, that is the house where Mary, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph lived and was brought over, you know, to Italy. And so he went there and he prayed there to the Holy Family that the council would strengthen family life because he could see what was coming to destroy families, you know, family life. Then he made a second pilgrimage. He went to Assisi. See, because St. Francis is called the father of the poor. And he prayed to St. Francis that the council would, um, would be able to make us realize that we are a church of the poor and for the poor. Poor because we're called to be poor in spirit and for the poor. And then council ended up giving us what they said, the preferential option for the poor. And uh, Pope Paul VI summed it up this way. He said, the council has given us the church of the Good Samaritan. And that's what the works of mercy are. You look at that beautiful parable of this Good Samaritan. He stops to help a man in great need, compassion. Remember the Jewish priest and the Levite went by. He's a stranger. In fact, he's an enemy as far as the Jews were concerned, but he had compassion. And that's what the works of mercy do. They teach us to be compassionate. You know, this, this morning in the reading, we, I'm going to stop in a few minutes to take some questions. Uh, in the reading for the office of St. Uh, Cosmas and Damien, there was a, a reading from St. Augustine, and he quoted, he quoted um, King Solomon, okay, one of the writings of Solomon, I think it's in the book of Proverbs. He said, if the king invites you to come to dinner at his table, Solomon said, make sure you observe very carefully how he sets the table. Because if you invite the king to come to your house, you have to set the table exactly the way the king set it for you. What does that mean? We have to look at what Jesus did for us. That's what we must do for him. His great love, his compassion, his mercy, right? His mercy endures forever. And that's why we have the opportunities in the works of mercy to do, you know, for the people of God, to do it for Jesus. We're not gonna see him, although some did. Tomorrow's the feast of Saint, uh, what's the name, Paul, Saint um, Vincent de Paul. He's the apostle of charity. You know, he used to take care of the poor. And one time he was washing the feet of a poor man and there were wounds on it, it's Christ. You know, we don't see Christ like that, but he did in that moment. So whatever we do, Jesus says, you did it for the least of my brothers. What you don't do, you're not doing for me. So we want to make sure that we are called then to the works of mercy. What are they? Just to mention them, and then we'll take questions. Corporal works of mercy, give food to the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, visit the sick, visit the imprisoned, and bury the dead. And you know, you can do these in different ways. Um, you know, like visiting the sick, you know, perhaps going to a hospital, going, helping out, and, and so on. Uh, the imprisoned, well, it may not be somebody in prison, but maybe a shut-in person who can't come out, go to visit them. Uh, writing a letter to someone in prison. Uh, sheltering the homeless, maybe work in a homeless shelter. If, you know, maybe preparing meals or, you know, feeding the hungry, you know, a food drive or something like that. There's always so much that can be done. Or I understand your, some of your, the students here went out to uh, Pittsburgh tonight to bring, what, sandwiches? Is that it? Yeah. Midnight ride. That's what we call it in New York. Huh? And you'll be surprised how people's lives are touched. Um, clothing the naked, you know, uh, you, you know, cl clothing drive, even even working for proper standards and modesty is part of that, you know? Sheltering the homeless, whatever we can do. 
Then, and bury the dead, you know, maybe sometime you go to a wake, somebody you knew, well, should I go? Maybe you can console them, you know? Then there's the spiritual works of mercy, instruct the ignorant, maybe teaching them about their faith, counsel the doubtful, you know, maybe to confirm someone, help them, um, you know, give them a little advice that might be very necessary. Admonish the sinner. You got to be careful with that, but, you know, you don't want to go around, you don't want to have an arrogant attitude, but, uh, you know, you want to tell them, remind them, you know, we have to live the way Christ wants us to live, okay? Uh, bear wrongs patiently. We got to, everybody's got to do some kind of trials in life. Do we bear them very patiently? Um, the serenity prayer. Remember, God, give me the serenity, the patience to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Huh? So bearing our wrongs, you know, patient, you know, everybody has a cross every day. If you bear it with Jesus, said through a little flower, said, if you live like that every day, trying to see God's will in your life every single day, doing your best to try to deal with it and accept it, um, you won't have to go to purgatory, she said. You know, she's told that to one of the nuns she lived with, and that was in the days of Jansenism, where they looked down on human nature as corrupt, and, you know, they had all the justice of God, and it had a real grim view of human nature. St. Therese broke that. She was, you know, her little childhood, she had such great trust, huh? And so she told this nun, you don't have to go to purgatory. Oh, you got it, the justice of God and everything. That nun died. Three months later, she appeared to St. Therese. She said, I wish I, I, trust, I believed in you. You know, too bad I didn't take your word for it. Hmm? She could have spared going to purgatory. Huh? So to bear wrongs patiently, to forgive offenses, forgiveness. If you want peace in your heart, you must forgive. Don't hold on to bad memories. Don't play the old tapes. This guy said this, this guy did that. You know, don't do that. Let it go. Father Glenn would say, forget about it. You know, Brooklyn, that's Brooklynese. Forget about it, you know. And uh, <laughs> to forgive. See, you don't end up with resentments. And you know what else? I'm a big enemy of pity parties. Cancel all your pity parties. Okay. <laughs> If you've sent out invitations, tell them we've just canceled them all. <laughs> if you want to be miserable, have a lot of pity parties in your life, you'll end up resentful, angry, annoyed, you know. You lose all your peace. Let it go. Who cares? Comfort the sorrowful. Give, you know, maybe a couple of kind words. Can lift somebody up, you know. Um, just listening to someone, you know can be a great way of comforting someone. You know why? Because you took the time to listen to them. You made them feel, you know, the dignity they have as a child of God. And finally, pray for the living and the dead. Pray for the souls in purgatory. You know, remember Padre Pio and all his souls in purgatory that came up the mountain? They asked him one time, any souls in purgatory come to your mass? It was way up on a mountain, you know, San Giovanni Rotundo. He says, more people come up from purgatory to my mass every day than the living do. And he had over a thousand people at his mass every day when they built a bigger church there. So pray for the souls in purgatory, okay? They will pray for you. Pray for the needs of people, those you know, and even those you don't know. And pray especially the intercession of the conversion of sinners as Our Lady asked at Fatima. An initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Faithandreason.com Be transformed by the renewal of your mind.